Just a quick content note for this episode. We're dealing with Greza and her pheromone power, which causes her to control the minds of people around her. So there is some talk of assault and non-consensual sex. Nothing graphic, but please be aware going into this that uh, it does come up. Welcome to Welcome to the Uncharted Territories. I'm Max. And I'm Tina. And we're here to discuss Season 4, Episode 2 of Farscape. What was lost? Part 1, Sacrifice. So we're still getting the gang back together. It's a big, long, complicated getting the gang back together. Okay, so the thing about this episode that always sticks out to me when I think back on Farscape is how at the end of season three, they all went their own separate ways for their own separate reasons. And then by the time we're in episode two, they're like desperately trying to find each other again. Yeah, as a reminder, everyone separated at the end of the last season. John ended up getting stuck on a dying Leviathan. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was found by Chiana and Rigel. Who are on the run because it turns out that the peacekeepers are not done with John, so they're out looking for the whole gang. Yeah. They were roughed up in an ambiguous but bad way mm-hmm. by the peacekeepers. Chiana's also psychic now. That's just a thing. She just is, yeah. Aaron had taken off, but... After, right after, like, moments after Aaron took off, John remembered from his subconscious the old psychic woman telling him that Aaron was pregnant with John Crichton's child, so... The witch. Yes, the witch. Which, I... I really like this character. Uh Uh-huh. I wish they hadn't thrown in the one line about how she got on Moya. I wish that there was just a witch and we never got any explanation for it. Because I feel like the one line doesn't really add that much. Like the whole, oh, I was a prisoner of the peacekeepers and I snuck on. So speaking of wishing there wasn't that explanation, and also speaking of, as a reminder last time, Mm -hmm. this episode's previously on contains scenes that were not actually in the previous episode. They were cut from the previous episode, but they are required watching for this episode. All right. So they seriously thought they could just throw it in the previously on and then everybody would be like, okay, fine. Which, I mean, to be fair, I kind of love that. (laughs) Well, they didn't know that you could just stream all the episodes at some point in the future and you'd be like, hey, wait a second. Yeah. Also, speaking of cut throwaway lines, uh, Jewel went off to look. Oh, Aaron's pregnant. We mentioned. Yeah, we said that. Okay. okay. Just making sure. Jewel went off with Dargo, and Dargo was going to go kill Macton, and Jewel was going to go join up with some other people of her race, the Interions, and do, like, an archaeological dig. Mm. And in this episode, we're going to find Jewel and Dargo at that dig site. And they also cut the line where Dargo explains that he decided that killing Macton wasn't going to help anyone. Yeah, that's like a really major character thing to not have in an episode. Right? Instead, what he did was he messaged Macton and was like, I know where you are, and decided that a better revenge would be for him to just be like looking over his shoulder for the rest of his life wondering when Dargo was going to kill him. Ah, the Pranksman's Gambit that appears in basically every episode or 
issue of Archie, ha. where someone engages in a prank war with someone else. The thing where, ah, but the neuroses about getting pranked was the real prank the whole time. Yes, a trope which is turned on its head in the Merry Pranksters episode of Happy Endings. Which is, I think, one of the only good prank-based uh, episodes of TV. I don't like prank episodes or characters whose whole thing is pranks. I'm not a prank person. Yeah. It's just, it's being an asshole and wanting to not face consequences for being an asshole. Well, I'm not going to get into, like, what is a good prank and what's a bad prank. Because I, I generally agree with you. A lot of what is, like, pranking is, as you said, just being an asshole. But that's why... I always want to point out, like, what good pranks are. Because a good prank should amuse and delight everyone involved. It should make you think that the world is surprising. Although Dave's prank on Max is one of my all-time favorite TV moments of all times. Seriously, look up Happy Endings, I don't know, Max prank. Like, <laughs> like I, I laugh every time. It's so great. But, you know, those aren't real people. Yeah. Yeah, also Adam Pauly is hilarious. But, like, an example of a prank that I think is amazing is uh, one I saw on, like, an old prank show where they had this trash can that was set to, like, explode. And this guy walking down the street, who, who was the prankster, sneezed as he walked past the trash can and then they set it off. So all the people around him were like, what the hell? What just happened? Oh, no. I like pranks when they're in the context of making the world seem very surreal to one person. There's this one I saw, which I did enjoy, where uh, these people, like, a, a guy went into a porta potty and these people came in with these movable walls and, like, a, a boardroom set up, and they all just set it up really quickly while he was in the porta potty and then when he left the porta potty there was a whole business <laughs> meeting. <laughs> like, he walked into what looked like an office, and guess like, come on, you're presenting now. Okay, I saw a similar prank that I loved, except it was a guy who went in for a massage, hmm. and then once he fell asleep, they, they set up the boardroom. Okay, I said I wasn't going to talk about pranks, and then we did. So, getting off of pranks, I want to say, we started talking about this episode, and you were like, wait, 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 wait for, wait for air. So, I feel like this episode has a couple of really big issues. One is that we are dealing with a two-parter that really should be one part. Mm -hmm. And the other is that there's no Aaron. Yeah, it, it struck me as odd that we didn't get Aaron. I know she was only in dream sequences last episode, but they, there was no Aaron in this. I think this episode's okay. I mean, it didn't have the main thing that makes me dislike Farscape episodes. I wasn't actively bored at any mm -hmm. you know point, but... Also, I remember a few things that happened in it, but that's kind of it. It left no impression whatsoever. Like, I remember Dargo being surprised that Jewel was racist, and, like, the thing with the with the fish guy, and, mm -hmm. like, the how it ended. I, like, I remember stuff from it, because we literally just saw it, but, like, it's not an episode I think I'm ever gonna think about again. You remember Graza's uh, pheromone implant? Oh my god, okay, yes, I have so much to say about that. If you follow me on Twitter, I was tweeting about it a lot. She... Okay, I'll wait until she shows up, but did they just completely change the core concept behind Graza? Because none of this pheromone shit was in... We discover later that she actually has an implant that, like, 
allows her sweat to okay, like so seduce men. So it's not a part alien thing. Because for a second, I thought they were going part alien with her again, just because of the, her makeup. Like her makeup could have feasibly been just this woman has an interesting taste in makeup, or it could be oh she's part alien. Yeah, and I don't know if it's meant to be ambiguous or not, because the show never explicitly states that she's full sebation, but it doesn't say she isn't, and what we know about the peacekeepers makes me think that she would have to be, hmm. but like you said, she's got kind of extreme makeup. So, there's also introduction in this episode of characters that I feel like are so important for the mythology of Farscape, and they hint at it, but they don't say it in this episode. And I didn't remember until I, I, went, I went ahead a little. They don't reveal it in the next episode either. So I'm kind of annoyed that it's like teased in this episode, but not revealed. All right, let's get into it. Let's get into the episode. Okay, so previously on Farscape, but not really, <laughs> Bracca was like, hey, uh, fuck Bracca, who is Scorpius's first in command, mm. number one, is like, hey... Fuck Scorpius, I am on the Greza train now. I'm all Team Greza because apparently I don't like working with an SM alien, but working with a lady who honks her boobs and then uses magic boob dust to make people do what they want hey, is hey, a hey. different. It's boob sweat. I'm sorry, yes. Who wrote this episode? <laughs> Yeah, you know that really hardcore military commander we got to know for, like, two episodes last season? Well, it turns out she has magic boob sweat, and she just rubs her hands over her boobs and then honks them in people's faces, and it makes them do what she wants because of pheromones. Yup. God. Yup. Hey, how many times have I told you, Farscape is a horny show? Farscape, Farscape is indeed a horny show. So, of course, of course the S&M alien got deposed by a, a pheromone-secreting alien. That's a, that's a thing, right? That's a fetish. I mean, I know everything's a fetish, but I, I've been watching a lot of Charmed for our, po our podcast and also, you know, to just get re-familiarized with it. And I was pretty deep into the just plain fetish seasons of Charmed, and there's this one where... There's, like, a guy who has the power to turn women into mummies because this, that, and the other thing. And I'm like, is that a fetish? It's in an episode of Charmed, so probably. And I didn't want to Google it. Wait, what do you mean by mummies? Like, he gestures at them and they were, like, uh, white cloth wrapped them up. and Oh, okay. And so they were mystically preserved like that. They didn't have, like, their organs removed and they aren't, like, desiccated... No, no, okay. it's preserving women by wrapping them in white cloth. Okay, that seems very specific, but I, I don't know if that's, like, a fetish category. It seems super, super specialized. Yeah, but I feel like that's definitely a thing. Like, I've seen stuff cross my timeline where I'm like, nothing in this is inherently sexual, but this feels like a fetish thing. Yeah. I thought you were going to say the mind control stuff, because I was definitely going to say, yes, mind control is a fetish. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, yes, I was looking for episodes of the old uh, Shazam cartoon. Oh, yeah. A while ago, which I could not find, which may, I guess makes sense because DC, I was looking for them on YouTube. I was hoping. Oh, oh, okay. But uh, they were not on YouTube, but someone had every time Mary Marvel got hypnotized and they're, oh, no. and I was like, oh, you are, you are not uploading this for okay reason. I mean, 
no kink shaming, but also Mary Marvel's a teenager, so it's all like, uh, yeah, yeah. You know, she's the new uh, Shazam now. I did not know that. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited for the new book. I've pre-ordered it and everything. Ooh. Yeah. Support your local comic book shops. Yes, ours is books with pictures. And we, it's amazing. And they will send you comics if you contact them about it. But this is Farscape. My God, we're so off track. So, the the almost dead pilot in the almost dead Leviathan has brought them to the planet where they believe Jewel is. And just like, okay, so there's like super magnetic storms. I cannot sense anything down there. And they're going to take a chance. Chiana and John are going to go down there in a transport and see if Jewel and Dargo are down there. I know it's it's far too late in the show for me to be complaining about this. But boy, it's lucky a planet's a really small place, right? <laughs> it's lucky that you can just drop someone off on a planet and they'll be right where they need to be. Okay, I just want to point out that you have complained about that before. And the time you complained about it was the other time the crew was separated and they were able to find each other because apparently the planet had only one city. I also just want to say that this episode is shot in the same place they shot Throne for a Loss. And once you know that, you can really tell mm. that the temple they're in is the same as the the temple that the guys with the shooty arm bracers were yeah. in. Yeah, the, like, steroid gun gloves. Yes, the steroid gun gloves. That's exactly what they were. Yes. So, John and Chiana are walking through this temple, and one of the guys who's the same race as Jewel... Comes out with a gun and he's like, freeze, peacekeeper, drop your weapon. And then Jewel and Dargo come around the corner and are like, that's not a peacekeeper, that's our friend. And they're like, oh my god, we're so glad you found us. We've been apart for like two months and we said goodbye forever at the time, but I've missed you so much. Yeah, Darko runs up and he hugs John and then he grabs John's face so he can look at him. It's very cute. It's a very cute reconciliation. And Jewel seems to have forgotten that Chiana completely fucking hates her. Hey, hey, absence makes the heart grow fonder. I mean, I guess they did occasionally make out. I know we talked this to death last time it was relevant, but... It's so weird that they have, like, a, they hate each other, but there's also a sexual dynamic to their relationship, and I am mega not into it, because... Because, wait, I'm I'm interrupting you here, but is it because it reads the way that certain men think that all female relationships are? Where women are, like, constantly in competition, but also they might make out at any moment and pillow fight! I'm sorry, are we in Bill Lawrence's imagination now? Right? Exactly! Although, I don't know, he he does do that thing, uh, he does do the uh, intensely homo-romantic uh, friendship thing with female characters that he does with male characters, too, which is a different thing. Weirdly, weirdly, uh, I don't want to say progressive, not progressive, but yeah. So, John asks, John and Dargo kind of download where everyone is. No one knows where Aaron is. Moya is gone looking for Aaron. And just in case you forgot, Rigel's still up on the ship, the dead ship. And that's the situation. Mm-hmm. So, it's... It's kind of awkward. It's weird because Jewel and Dargo are really happy to see John and Chiana, but John and Chiana are kind of not. Like... John and Chiana are like, hey, good to see you. Where's Aaron? <laughs> is Moya here? Like... They're kind of not here for this. Like, I I don't want to say I feel bad for Dargo. I've moved past my intense hatred for Dargo. I do not like him particularly a lot, but 
he's not being an active. Oh my god. Oh my god, Jewel took his role as the oh. one who completely fucks stuff up so there'll be a plot. Oh, yeah. Huh. So I cannot hate Dargo in peace because there's a more annoying character who's taken his role as the albatross around the... The ship's neck, <laughs> as yeah. it were. So Jewel is like, hey, isn't it great that we're all here and nobody's trying to kill us, which... Chiana has news for you. And then we see, like, a creature from the Black Lagoon monster hanging around. I appreciate this guy. He looks very rainbow trouty. Yeah. Which, I mean, honestly, if you're going for alien designs, you can do worse than just grabbing a random fish. So, Jewel shows them this device that's on the side of the temple that lets them know when the magnetism gets bad enough that they have to leave. The magnetism that made the dying leviathan not be able to find them basically encases this planet for years and years at a time and makes all life impossible until you know one summer a you know one summer a decade or whatever so they're in that time and they're exploring it and they've discovered this temple that is like super super important historically speaking jules super excited to have found it Yeah, Jules explaining, like, the history of the temple and how it's such a great archaeological discovery. And Chiana's like, oh, cool. Is this valuable? And she, like, points to a vase or something. And Mm -hmm. and Jules like, well, we don't know yet because we're still... And Chiana smashes it and then storms off. And Jules like, the shit's... That was unnecessary! (laughs) So, Jules' hair, you'll remember, like, is mood changing. Mm -hmm. But... In this whole episode, it's completely bright red. Like, it does not change at all. And I know that the reason it's like that is because it was just easier for them to just keep it one color and stick to it. But I like to think that it's because she's so excited to have found this temple that it's just it's just bright red all the time. So, Chiana gets scared in the temple by Dargo. And it turns out she's looking for the witch, who everyone keeps calling Wrinkles. I don't love it. Don't love it. I'm going to just keep calling her the witch. Okay. Uh, Does she have a name? She does, but weirdly, we have not been told it yet. Mm. Which is another thing I really like about this character. Sometimes they call her the old woman. Yeah, there's a lot of elderly-based nicknames for her, which, fine. But Dargo's like, so do you want to talk? And Shannon's like, I really don't. We also kind of discover that while Dargo's been on this planet, he's been banging Jewel. Yeah, which... Chiana's not thrilled about, but you know what? (laughs) Glass house is Chiana! You had sex with his son. You kind of really super don't have room to talk. We also find out that this temple used to be inhabited by these priests who for 500 years lived in peace with the Sebations and the Scarans, and nobody knows how. And it was this huge, big deal. And then these, like, probes were sent down that created the magnetic atmosphere that theoretically killed off all of the priests and made the planet uninhabitable. So Jules' new boss, the woman who's doing the archaeological dig... Yeah, her name is Vela, and she is not happy. Yeah, she is... She shows up and she shows off that fun racism thing that Jules famous for where she, you know, does a phrenology on John. She's like, hmm, I can see why they mistook you for Peacekeeper. You have a lot of the same physical 
lackings that they do, although your brain pan is even smaller than theirs. I'm like, oh, God. Yes. Yeah. I'm glad you get turned to a statue, right? That's what yep, happens that's what to happens her. to her. Spoiler alert, she gets turned into a statue. I'm like, hey, it's the least good part about Jewel given human form. Well, as long as we're doing spoilers, Mm -hmm. she tells John that she's found two of the probes that created this, like, magnetic atmosphere, and she's looking for the third one because legend says that if you have all three, you can reverse the effects, but actually she just wants them as a weapon. Mm -hmm. She's really a weapons dealer, not an archaeologist, so. Hey, look, it's everything with the, uh, wormholes and John. Yeah, it's like all that in miniature. So Chiana is still talking to Dargo, wants to know how come the peacekeepers haven't found him since they have been, like, up her ass the entire time she's been gone. And he's like, oh, let me show you. My ship has a cloaking device. And he called his ship Lola. His ship's name is Lola. After his dead wife. Whose name is Lolan. He's like, it's Lola, short for Lolan. And it's like, that's the same amount of syllables, my friend. I feel like John's been rubbing off on Dargo a lot. This really feels like a John move. To Mr. call it Lola instead of Lolan? Yeah, like Mr. My Name, My Gun's Name is Winona. Winona. Like, it really feels like he's taking a page from John's book there. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, uh, we do get a brief shot of, what's her bucket? I can't... Sikozu. Sikozu. I'm going to try to remember her name. I will get it eventually, probably right before she gets killed off. Okay, so I'm going to say... Mm-hmm. Um, because we are doing a podcast, and I feel like it's really uncool the way John refuses to learn anyone's names and also kind of racist and i i hate that about him Mm -hmm. so i have made an effort to remember and say that her name is sakozu but i will admit that since she doesn't show up until season four the final season and i'm like oh god another alien to learn um when i have been just casually talking about the show not on a podcast i did always call her suzuki like the car. Yes. Sakozu. 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 Yeah. It's weird because it is one of my least favorite things when, you know, somebody intentionally mispronounces something. And yet it's something I do a lot on this show and our other shows, but. I mean, there's a difference between like a real person who, who actually exists on this planet and comes from a real culture and refusing to learn that name which is racist and rude and a stupid made-up fantasy name that has two or three apostrophes in it for no reason uh, sakozu just yes. gonna try to get it to stick so she's got her hair and um yeah she's got it back up in the twist that she had before and she is messing with the marauder marauder not the marauder she's messing with john's module trying to get it to do stuff and Raj is like, are you taking off? Because that's kind of my thing. And if you're taking off, I want to take off with you. And she's like, this thing has enough power for like an hour. No, I'm not taking off. I would die in the void of space. And he's like, I don't know if you noticed, but we are about to die in the void of space. So we cut to command commandant. I'm sorry. Commandant. Greza. Greza. Who, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry, did they decide in between seasons that this was going to be her thing? I don't want to harp on it, but suddenly her commandant outfit involves a massive amount of cleavage, which it definitely did not last season. It definitely did. Did it? I do not remember it being this aggressive. 
I'm so sure it had this aggressive cleavage. We're going to have to go back and look. Okay. Um, I might have just been, like, putting Projecting. it there in my head because I knew what she wore later, but I'm so certain it had this aggressive cleavage. I don't know. For some reason, it just feels like her makeup feels like her skin looks so much, like, paler and kind of almost bluish. And, like her eyeliner and her there's so much about her design which feels more alien than sebation i feel like she looks different than she did last season but maybe that's just me okay see i don't think they changed anything about her look either costume or makeup or anything i think this is a hundred percent a change in her bearing because at the end of last season she marched in there and was like I am in charge. I am a commander. And now she's like slinking around like, I am a femme fatale. And it's like, wait, what happened? What happened between these seasons? So Scorpius is strapped into the new most uncomfortable chair in the world. It's been a while since we've seen one of those. I mean, still, it's, I think it's his Aurora chair. I think he's been like hoisted by his own Aurora chair. That didn't get all blowed up when his... Uh, oh, yeah, it did. Okay. <laughs> I guess it's another Aurora chair. I guess I just had a spare, <laughs> even though it's a thing that Scorpius invented, but whatever. The Scorpius is strapped into the Aurora chair, and also Greza and Bracca have followed the, they say the interior, meaning Jewel, to this planet so that they can catch John, because they are just like, we just gotta grab John and be done with this whole nonsense. Which means that when Chiana was like, how'd you escape the peacekeepers? And Dargo was all like, look at my cloaking device. The cloaking device did nothing. They were just following him at a distance so they could catch John. It was a trap the whole time. That sounds about right. Wah, wah. So Scorpius is like, do you not get my whole thing? I, I'm, I'm the S&M alien. You're not going to torture me into revealing whatever. Also, did my assistant lady die... I'm pretty sure she died. Yeah, like, it's been a while since we've seen her, but I don't know if we actually saw her die. Yeah. We see him briefly, by the way, in the Aurora chair, and we see images of him as a child from, like, the previous episodes where we've seen that, so mm. that's cool. And, okay, he, he says he won't give away any information about John. I feel like... Isn't the point of the Aurora chair that you don't have a choice because it's reading your mind? Well, I, I can I can accept that Scorpius has a strong enough mind that he like can't give it up. But they, I'm just gonna keep thinking about my childhood traumas. Block it out with that. We saw John do something similar, so I believe he can do that. Hmm. They pop out the little thing in his head that has the cooling rods, and they insert a different rod that is yellow in there. And <sighs> when they pop it back in, he is in an intense amount of pain. And yeah. Graza says this will work because he wasn't going to give up the information before because he knew once he gave up the information he would die. The implication being now he will want to die because we are torturing him. Mm. All right. So John finds the witch before anyone else does. And he's like, hey, grandma. He keeps calling her grandma. He's like, do you remember me? And she's like, not really responding. She's like, I need a lot of sebations. And then the fish guy, like, jumps out to defend her. And she's like, no, it's fine. It's fine. I know who this is. Crichton, lovely to see you. Looking hot as ever. And she gives him a little hug. I like how disconnected this character is. Mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, I really, I love this character. I'm going to talk a little bit 
about, and this might be just a completely the side tangenty of all side tangents. I'm going to talk a little bit about Agatha Harkness. Did you know this was coming? I knew that was coming. Let's go for it. Okay, so Agatha Harkness, as you probably know from WandaVision, mm-hmm. I feel like that's the big thing people would know her from now. She's been a character in Marvel Comics for a while. She uh, was the governess of the fantastic, the child of uh, the Invisible Woman and uh, Mr. Fantastic of the Fantastic Four. Wasn't she brought over from horror comics first? Didn't she first appear in horror comics? I can't say for sure. I'm pretty sure her first thing was in Fantastic Four, but I cannot say for certain. She definitely could have been from, you know, older stuff. Mm-hmm. She occupies this really weird part of the Marvel Universe where she's just straight up a witch. She's straight up a horror comic style witch who just happens to work with superheroes. She, again, she was the governess. Nanny? Nanny's probably the more appropriate word. No, no, governess is the more appropriate word because I think the difference between a nanny and a governess is that a governess teaches you things. Yeah, Uh, She was the governess for Franklin Richards, the omnipotent child of the Fantastic Four, for a while. And then she mentored the Scarlet Witch in real magic after she was done with Franklin because his dad shot him with a giant ray gun that removed his powers for a while. Ace parenting there. Yeah. I mean, it was the right thing to do. They had a real Wyatt Hollowell situation going on. But if you're going to depower your child, don't run into the room with a giant gun and shoot him without telling anyone what it does. Anyway, so then she taught the Scarlet Witch magic, real magic, because before her thing was just hex bolts, which were, you know, a mutant thing. And the thing is, she's not a traditional superhero character, like... She doesn't have, like, a costume. She does have powers, but they're magic. She has this whole weird other thing going on. And I when... mean, she's drawn, like, a traditional crone witch. Yeah, she's got, like, she's. this is not a charmed situation. This is a woman who is hundreds, possibly thousands of years old, and she looks it. She could play Granny Weatherwax in the Discworld movie. And the thing is, anytime she shows up, it completely changes the genre of the story to being a weird horror thing. Mm-hmm. She shows up to the Aven- to the Avengers Mansion, and suddenly Wanda's alone in her room all of the time, and there's smoke everywhere, and she's talking in this weird horror font. Like, it's pretty great, and that's not been a super consistent thing, because, you know, superhero comics. But mm-hmm. I, it's something I really like about her, and it's something I like about this witch, too, which isn't exactly the same thing, but I lost my point there when I was talking about who Agatha Harkness is. The thing about Agatha Harkness is that she's a character who has her own motivations, who seems to be doing things almost at random. Mm-hmm. She's someone who very clearly has her own plans and ideas and perspective on the world that we're not ever really privy to we don't understand why she's doing the things that she's doing and it doesn't matter because it it doesn't matter that we don't understand why this woman is doing the things that she does because all of these things make sense to her she also brings a kind of disjointedness to farscape that i really like i really like in this season the way we kind of break from traditional storytelling. At the end of season three, Moya got sucked through a wormhole. And when John in this episode asks where Moya went, what happened, what's going on, 
He's told that nobody knows, nobody remembers, only this old woman remembers. And she tells John, she just flat out won't tell him what happened. And there's no explanation for how she got from Moya to this planet that we are given. Like, at all. I guess the implication is that Moya came to this planet, but we're not told that. It's it's very strange. She, she... She has, she has secrets and she doesn't reveal them to us or to the other characters. And it's kind of like, yeah, kind of like, it's like a whole other story is happening for her. She's the protagonist of a different story. And the thing is, characters like this can be really, really annoying. Like Like the uh, initiative in Buffy. Oh, I was going to say like, not to go back to comics again, but there is a character for a while in Spider-Man called Judas Traveler. Mm -hmm. He was like this old guy who had like really weird ill-defined powers and he was like kind of vaguely connected to a bunch of people in peter parker's life and he like took over this asylum and trapped peter in it for a while and like made him fight weird monster versions of his villains and this guy was around in comics for i think it was most of the end of the clone saga but like he was there for a while and you never knew what his motivations were what his powers were and unlike agatha harkness it was just really annoying because he'd Mm. show up and then you'd be you know you'd be in for a whole issue of some bullshit a whole issue of some bullshit uh speaking of some bullshit do you like that segue yes excellent well done John asks her why she revealed that Aaron was pregnant right when he had no ability to do anything about it. And she's like, oh, um, I did that so that you would let go of Aaron. And it's like, bullshit! You did that so I would forget about Aaron. And she's like, wait, shut up. Ghosts are talking to me. Do you know that this is a holy land and also that there's a weapon that Vel is after? And John's like... I just got here. How would I know any of that stuff? Yes, I already spoiled that, but she is very determined that Vela not have access to this weapon. And basically, she talks about how anytime there's anything good, anytime anybody has peace or, like, a moment of reprieve, somebody has to go and turn it into a fucking weapon, which, again, parallel to the wormhole plot. I kind of love this because John's like, yeah, that's great, whatever. But seriously, why the thing with Aaron and my kid and... It's such a dick move. But the witch is like, uh, not your kid. Right? It's it's the kid of your, I'm just going to say clone. I know it's identical duplicate or whatever, clone. And he's like, it's a kid with my DNA. I have a vested interest. And the witch is like, well, it seems like Aaron had a vested interest in you not being a part of the child's life. So why don't you try respecting her for once and just leaving it alone? And if you can't do that, she grabs this, like, snail thing on the wall and crushes it and pulls out, like, a, a piece of the snail. And it's like, if you can't do that, if you huff this, your brain will turn off for 500 seconds and you can just not think about things. And he's like, no, that's not what I'm here for. No. You know what's an interesting parallel here that I didn't really think about before? Mm-hmm. Do you remember You remember the episode where where the crew first got separated, where they went to the planet with... The, um... The Robinson Crusoe planet? No, not the Robinson Crusoe planet. Okay, I guess not the first time that they were separated. They were separated many times. No, when they went to the planet that was, like, in the middle of a civil war, and they had the lobsters that made... Oh, yeah, yeah. That pierced your brain if you lied. Yeah. And one of the reasons I love that episode is because Moya's crew shows up, and it's like, they are in the middle of their own thing, and these people think that... 
They're there to interfere in in this tiny little local planetary war. And they're like, no, we don't care at all about your politics. We just want to refuel our ship and go home. And this is like that, but kind of flipped in that John just wants to find Aaron and, like, convince her to come back to Earth and marry him and get a house with a picket fence. And... Meanwhile, he had a whole delusion about why that wouldn't work out. But oh, but that was before she was pregnant. But meanwhile, there's this huge thing where there are like cosmic weapons and dead priests and like implications for the entire way the galaxy is set up. Like huge, wide-ranging implications. And John is like, "Have you seen my ex?" That is what I am looking for. The witch points out that, you know, there was a mass slaughter here. All of the priests were killed. Why are there no bones? Yes. And John's like, we were talking about Aaron, and she's like, no bones. Why are there no bones? Wait, I want to know what you think why there are no bones. Um, I, I didn't really have a theory. I guess they melted or that bone eater lady showed up. Yeah, I guess either of those things are likely. No, I mean, that, that that is a good question that gives you a clue to what's going on. But like I said, we don't find it out this episode or next episode. So Dargo and Jewel are cleaning off, like, a piece of the cave wall with this, like, gun that cleans off cave walls or whatever. And Jewel's like, look at this important discovery. And Vela, the head of the expedition, shows up and she's like, it's a prayer wheel. They're on literally every other wall. And why are you letting this Luxon use this very delicate piece of machinery? Well, Vela shows up right when they're both making jokes about her. That's true. Because Dargo's like, hmm, maybe once we uh, clean it off and show it to Vela, she'll want to stick it right up her butt. <laughs> and Vela's like, it would never fit up my butt. And Dargo's like, uh-oh, teacher's here. She also shows them that this is actually, like, Chekhov's archaeological cleaning tool. This is Chekhov's archaeological brush. What are those things called? Do you know the little brushes? I don't think they have a particular name. I think they're just little brushes. I don't know, though. Okay, well, this is Chekhov's one of those. Because it turns out that for some reason... I Seriously, after this episode was over, when I knew we were going to have to talk about it, I was like, wait, why does it do that? Why does it work like that? And I have no idea. Okay, but if you hit something living with the beam it will turn the living thing into whatever the living thing is touching so she demonstrates this by hitting one of those snail things with the beam and because the snail thing is on rock now the snail thing is made out of rock weirdly specific it's just such a weird side effect like i feel like you would have to program that in yeah yeah it kind of a, a little bit reminds me of you didn't see the second jurassic world movie right no Wait, didn't that just come out? No, the third one just came out. Really? Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but in the second one, they're trying to sell dinosaurs to the military to use them as, like, weapons or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they're like, you can get them to kill individual people by targeting the people with this, like, sonic gun thing. So you point the sonic gun thing at whatever you want the dinosaurs to kill... And then, you know, you press the button and the dinosaurs are attracted to it and they kill it. And it's like, if you're pointing a gun at someone you want dead, 
why do I have the extra dinosaur <laughs> step? Why not just do it with a regular gun and shoot them with it? Now I'm imagining, like, giant deadly cats. I mean, I know that exists. That's what big cats are. But, like, <laughs> like I'm imagining using a laser pointer <laughs> to make cats shred your enemies. I mean, in essence, yes. It just, it seems like there's a lot of extra steps to killing someone with this weird beam thing. It really does. Meanwhile, Graze is having a sexy sex bath. Yeah, it looks like a milk bath. Or like, I don't know, it's a little green to be milk. Mm. Which is kind of gross. She exposits that basically there's 50 hours left on the planet before it becomes uninhabitable. And they're going to have to go down there and just grab John. And then she's like, hey, Braca, come closer so I can use my boob sweat pheromones on you. Okay, I thought that the pheromone thing might have something to do with the bath, just because, you know, that would be a reason for the bath to be here, but I guess it's just so it's sexy. So she's like, Braca, kneel before me so I can rub my boobs all over your head, and and I, I want to know, how am I doing as a boss? Like... Okay, okay, no, it's more than that. No, she wants to know if he's cool with the fact that they're torturing Scorpius. Because she, her concern is that he's secretly saying he's cool with it, but he's really going to be like, oh no, I have still some some latent loyalty to Scorpius. I'm definitely going to free him now. He's like, hey, look, if it's between the SNM alien who yells at me and throws hot soup in my face, or the sexy boob lady who rubs her boobs all over my face and throws soapy water on me, I think it's pretty clear where my loyalties are going to lie. He starts, like, sucking on her fingers and trying to get in to kiss her. And she's like, I thought John Crichton was just some random guy. But I guess he has something important if Scorpius cares about him this much. And I don't know how people don't know what his deal is. Yeah, you'd think that that would be, like, a bigger thing, right? Just... Given how many people, I guess most of them died. I was thinking how many people worked on Scorpius's ship. Or I mean, whatever. I guess that was the whole point of blowing up the command carrier was to take away that knowledge. So I guess if the majority of people who knew about it were out there, yeah. yeah. But I mean, shouldn't shouldn't high command have known what the deal was? He's a pretty big murder criminal by this point, too. I mean, well, but if high command didn't know about the wormhole technology, then they were giving Scorpius a lot of freedom for like no reason. So, back, speaking of uh, employee reviews, back on the planet, Jewel is talking to, what's her bucket? The Vela. Vela, the boss lady, and she, and Vela's like, hey, Jewel, you've been doing really well, you're, to it's, it's great how you're not stealing from me or anything, like, you're doing really well in this archaeological dig, have you thought about your future career? And Jewel's like, not really, I was basically just on, like, I was basically in a horror movie for a couple of months there, so I'm mostly relieved that I'm not constantly being, you know, tortured or thrown through portals to the past or whatever, or having creatures try to eat my skin. Like, I, I'm enjoying not having that happening for a little bit. Vela also asks her if Dargo's gonna stick around, if they decide to stick around and keep studying things, and she's like, hey, by the way... You know Luxons are inferior to us, so if you want to keep him around for the boning, just know that you're going to be responsible for all the stupid things he does. And Jewel is like, I know. And of course we see, and they don't, that Dargo is around the corner listening to all of this. Yeah, I mean, it does feel kind of like a, a setup on 
Vela's part. Oh, I don't think it is. No, I mean, like, the fact that she's buttering Jewel up before being like... Oh, oh, yeah. Where, where she's like, you're really smart and you're doing such a good job here, but you need to dump the lower life form you're dating if you want to have a future career. Like, it really feels like she's trying to get Jewel to be the, you know, person who kicks Dargo off the planet so she doesn't have to talk to him. Yeah, yeah. So, the... The interior, the interior who originally pulled a gun on Chiana and John shows up with a gun and with the old woman hostage and is like, freeze, John. The old woman told me that you were going to shoot me and keep me from finding all these probes and selling them as weapons. And John's like, no, I do. That is not my plot line this episode. I do not care. And the old woman's like, shoot him, John, shoot him. <laughs> it's great. She she ducks behind John and she's like, kill him, John. You need to kill him right now. And John's like, I'm not going to kill him. What is wrong with you? And she's like, kill him, kill him, kill him, kill him. Which if I was the guy, I feel like I would be like, wait, maybe she wasn't telling me the truth about John wanting the noblets or whatever. Yeah, the, the prism. The plot device. Yes, the probes. Yeah. But John does pull a gun on him and says, Stop pointing guns at people! And then the witch runs up to the guy and just clocks him in the face. She is awesome. She is a great character. And then John is like, What? Stop all everything. Stop everything. Stop doing things. <laughs> and she's like, I have foreseen it. The... The people who used to live on this, on this place. Wait, wait, let me do it. Let me do it. Okay, okay. She's like, pocket sand! Well, she's a lead up where she's talking about, I see the ghosts of this planet, John. I see the peaceful devices used for war. I see beyond what mortal eyes can see. And he's like, what are you talking about? And then she's like, pocket sand. Yes, and now John has a vision of the priests who used to live here, they're doing, like, a goat sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And, which I, I, I am only saying because according to the trivia on for this episode, based on the director's commentary, um, the writers on this show wanted to get a space goat on the show for, like, the longest time, and they were so excited to finally get a space goat on the show. And I'm just, we only see it for, like, a fraction of a second, but it's... It's a pretty cool space goat that's being sacrificed. It's got, like, a bunch of eyes. and So, John sees the sacrifice of the goat, and he also sees, like, this thing that is, like, a children's toy. It's it's a little pyramid with uh, different engravings on each side of the little pyramid. Oh, we're going full Stargate, eh? More than you know. Wait, does, does First Game actually cross over with the... Uh... Stargate, I know that they have actors in similar, but... No, no, they don't actually cross over, but, um... It seems like they're kind of opening the door to that. Opening the gate to that? Yeah, Yeah, no, no, but the thing that I've been, um... Yeah, okay, when they finally do give us the backstory of these priests, we'll talk about how much Farscape is the eating Stargate's lunch here. (laughs) I do really like the shots here where... Because the witch, the witch tells John that he needs to see, you know, the history of the planet. And she tells him that they need to stop Vela from getting the probes because, you know, blah, blah, blah. Blowing people up with probes is bad or turning them to stone or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, like, he sees the sacrifice. And there's just a bit that's 
I, I like I really like this shot. It's like really close on John's eyes and the camera's moving really unsteadily down his face and then it kind of moves to the side and the witch is just right there whispering in John's ear and then she blows more dust in his face. So the reason she blows more dust in his face is that he saw the priest and she just wanted him to see how like they had this beautiful, peaceful world and help her, you know, keep Vela from getting the the probes. But John actually ends up seeing where the probes landed, which means he knows where the third one is. People need to stop giving John information. <laughs> right? So she puts more dust in his face to make him fall asleep, and he wakes up in the water being rescued by the creature from the Black Lagoon thing, who's like, hey, she was trying to kill you because you know where the probe is, so, uh... I really like how this fish guy was just being played as, like, a monster that was following whatever the witch did, and now it's like, oh, no, he's a guy. Yeah, he's just a guy. He's a guy. He's just an amphibious guy. And he also tells John that uh, the old woman took his gun so that she could go kill Vela. And John, like, looks down and realizes his gun is gone and is like, God damn it! Can I not have, like, one day off? I'm not even supposed to be here today. So, back on Not Moya, Rigel is hanging out with Not Pilot. Mm -hmm. And he hears something. And then that scene's over. Well, we're just supposed to see that the pilot, that the pilot, and therefore the Leviathan are still in the process of dying. And also, I think see Rigel being comforting—a thing we don't usually get, just so that we don't completely think he's a terrible creature who should be shot out an airlock. Because he, he little late on that front. He is comforting the the dying the dying pilot as she dies, and then Dargo confronts. Jewel, and he's yeah, like... Yeah, we hard cut away from that to the really awkward moment where you realize that your girlfriend, who's clearly racist, is super racist. He's like, do you really think Luxons are inferior? And she's like, well, you're one of the good ones. And it's just like, oh my god. Jesus fucking Christ, Jewel. She's like, when I say Luxons are bad, I don't mean you. Well, you're well, a you're a good one. And it's like, do well, you not, not bad. Lower life forms. And Dargo's like, do you think I'm a lower life form? And she says that he's unusual for a Luxon. Dude. Like, I don't know why Dar. I mean, it's awful, but also, why is Dargo surprised about this? She's been pretty upfront about her racism for quite some time. I mean, she wanted to bang him, but that doesn't mean she's not racist. Maybe he thought that her banging him would make her stop being racist. Okay. He wouldn't be the first person who thought something like that. Okay, Darko needs to stop projecting these... W I mean, this is also a John issue. He needs to stop projecting his own wants and desires onto the women he dates and or has casual sex with. That is so true. Yeah. You're right, and that is both Dargo and John's problem. Wow, yeah. And Dargo points out, he's like, look, I've defended you. Everyone else, well, I'm not I'm not saying he's not full of bullshit right here. <laughs> yeah. But he says, I defended you when everyone else called you a spoiled little princess, but I guess you are just a whiny little brat who can't get over herself for even a goddamn second. I'm like, Darko, you really had that, like, 
That was in the chamber. Right? Like, he was prepared to call her a spoiled brat. Yep. Which, I mean, I I don't want to f- defend Jewel after she was just being racist, but, like, it's not really on her that someone completely unsuited for life of space crime was thrust upon you. Like... It's not on her that she wasn't thrilled with those circumstances and did poorly in them. Yeah, yeah. So, the witch is looking to kill... Vela. Vela, thank you. And although we do not see who does it, we do see someone attack her. And it's it's very it's very who shot Mr. Burns. Like we see Dargo walking through the passageway and John Vela is the her who gets attacked, not the witch. Right, right. We see the witch and we see the witch and Dargo and Jewel all walking through the tunnels and uh I've been informed that many of you in the audience are stroking guns, so I'm going to open the floor now. Yep, and then when John finds her, we see that she has been turned into a statue. Someone shot her with the thing. The ray thing. Yeah. So so John's the Marge Simpson in this Who Shot Mr. Burns. Yeah, yeah. And Dargo pulls him aside, because he's like, what the hell? And Dargo pulls him aside and is like, um, no, the other ones are gonna, like, show up and try to kill us. And it's true, the, uh... What's his bucket? Yeah, the, the only other guy we see on this dig site shows up, and Dargo knocks him out, and then the the sea creature shows up, and Dargo holds a gun on him. And then we see uh, the old woman who's now meditating outside, like... Well, it, it seems like she's doing a funeral rite thing for Vela, except it's very throwing shade at Vela. It's eternal cosmos, take Vela into your starry bosom embrace her even though she was an evil sack of shit who doesn't deserve even the smallest of mercies find your way to find to helping her find her way into the next world <laughs> like it's it's a very uh mean yes eulogy okay there is an amazing moment though when john asked dargo why he knocked out the other interior and Dargo says, if he had seen us here with her, he would have fought us, and then I would have killed him. I saved his life. <laughs> I kind of love, I kind of love that, Dargo. <laughs> so John's like, the old lady did it, right? Like, like the witch is clearly the one who killed this lady. And Chiana's like, she can barely take a bath by herself. Like, she hasn't been consistently drugging people and doing shit. Right. The entire time you've known her, Chiana. So, back on Moya, Sokozu basically reveals that when she's been messing around with John's module, what she's been doing is altering it so that it can receive peacekeeper signals, and she has discovered that the peacekeepers are on their way to this planet to grab John. So, she's going to go down to the planet to warn them now. It's pretty great, because Rigel's like, I think that's bullshit. John never managed to make his ship do anything like that, and she's like, I'm not fucking John! Like... I'm very good at what I do. I've spent my whole life studying stuff. Please trust that I know what I'm fucking talking about, you sad little fish puppet. She I- she also can tell that Moya is on her way back. So she tells Rigel to have this pilot tell Moya not to come to the planet because, you know, there are peacekeepers here. 
And John is wandering outside, and he and the other in, in Tyrion come across that tile that he found, or that he saw in his vision, the, the child's tile. And they're looking at it, at the symbols that are on it, and one of the symbols is in Tyrion, one of them is Sebation. Early Sebation. And one of them is Egyptian. <gasps> I don't want to give it credit, because I really don't think that it's the case. But, uh, y- you remember that episode of Community where Abed is talking about Farscape with the guy in the bar? Mm-hmm. And he has this theory that the seba- that the wormhole takes you through time as well as space, mm-hmm. and Sebations are just a future version of humanity? Mm-hmm. I feel like this kind of would work for that, but also it really doesn't line up with how we've seen wormholes work in this show thus far. Here's the thing. That theory is decent... There's nothing wrong with that theory if he's at a certain point in Farscape. But if he has finished Farscape, his understanding of wormholes should be much more complete. Because we do learn a lot more about wormholes, especially in the movie. And I'm um, and I'm 100% certain that that episode came out after Farscape had ended. So why is Abed only partway through Farscape? That's not within his character. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, because I feel like even at this point in the show, like, we know that wormholes have nothing to do with time. They don't have nothing to do with time. Okay. They're, it's it's more complicated than that, and we're going to get into it. Okay. So, the symbols on the on the tile, by the way, they all say, like, peace and security. Oh, uh, also, this is a thing that made me think, oh, we're going real full Stargate here. Oh, yeah, full Stargate! <laughs> Did I mention that the toy is shaped like a pyramid? Mm. So Dargo's looking for Chiana with this big sword gun thing. Mm-hmm. And- John's like super excited because he's realized that there's a connection between his planet and this planet. And he's, you know, obsessed with finding Earth. But he's so distracted that he doesn't see the peacekeepers come and grab Chiana and grab him and the Interion. Well, and- they shoot the Interion. Right. And Dargo- Which they, they're like, hey, that guy's not part of the main cast. Bam, 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 bam. Dargo's like, Chiana, where are you? And then Sokozu, who, remember, can shift her gravity, is like standing above him on the wall and is like, shh, they already caught them. Stop calming them or they're going to catch you. You know, I really like Sokozu and the witch. I, I feel like we're, I, I did not particularly care for Jewel. I liked Stark, but he's been out of the show for so long. I know. Okay, well, so... Also, before he was out of the show for so long, they kept giving him comedy side plots with Rigel, which made me like the character less. But, like, I feel like they're really nailing it with Sokozu and the witch. Well, not to spoil things for you too much. Mm-hmm. But uh, Jewel decides to stick with her archaeological studies. We're going to be done with her next episode. Yeah, yeah. You, you told me Jewel would be gone soon, so... Yeah. And I think you're right. I think that this cast, I, I, it's interesting to kind of try to identify when when the team is the best and the strongest. But you're right. I do like Naranti on the ship. I do like Sokozu. Obviously. Um, Stark is coming back. Stark right? is coming back. Yes. Yes. He's been gone for a really long time, it feels like. He has. I didn't remember him being gone this long, which is funny because when he disappeared before, he came back way faster than I remembered. <laughs> So, Graza shows up and is like, hey, John, 
I don't want to hurt you. I want to work with you and find out why it is that everybody wants you. And See, I used my magic boob sweat to turn Scorpius into a dog. Bark, Scorpius, bark. And Scorpius is on a chain and Scorpius is like, bark, 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 bark. And John's like, okay. It was apparently Wayne Pygum, the actor who plays Scorpius. It was his idea that the character be let in on a leash. And I'm like, okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Seems like someone really lucked into a role he was built for. <laughs> yep. He's like, it's the role I was born to play. Anyway, she, like, uses her boob sweat on John, and then John, like, leans in and kisses her, and it's like, oh. Well, this is the part I tweeted about when it happened, because... I'm sorry, it just, it looks so silly because she, like, she reaches into her open military uniform, honks her boob in John's face, and then takes her hand out of her blouse and just kind of rubs it all over his face and then starts making out with him. And Shiona's like, Jesus, space Christ. Well, it's also just, like, really, really gross non-consent stuff. But I do appreciate that it's treated as gross non-consent stuff, even though she's like a sultry, booby alien and he is a man. And normally that kind of thing would not be treated with the seriousness that this is treated with. Like uh, in the episode where John gets cloned, where the guy kidnaps Dargo and plans to use him as a, you know, breeding thing to keep his stock from getting too inbred. Mm -hmm. And it's played for laughs that they cave woman with the disintegrating brain is trying to have sex with Dargo against his will and they're like playing comedy music over it and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, that's not good. But I, you, but like I said, I like that... Uh, they're taking it seriously here. Yeah. I mean, I think I'd prefer they not do it at all, but I, if they're going to, at least it's not some jokey throwaway. Mm. We're told that there's about 20 hours left before this planet is uninhabitable again and Grazer really wants to find Dargo and Aaron... So, hey, she has that in common with John. And then she tells Bracca that Scorpius is like the the pain rod is wearing off. So Bracca should go switch the pain rod back out. And he's like super excited to do this, even though Scorpius bites him while he's doing it. Well, Scorpius starts like trying to choke him while he's replacing it. And like he's too weak to really choke him. And Bracca's like... And to think of all the times I kowtowed to you, and then Scorpius just bites him, and he's like, "Ow, shit! Right, you don't need that much. You don't need that many muscles to really bite the crap out of someone." Also, like you're half scaring, so yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't feel like we saw Scorpius treat Bracca that poorly. Honestly, in terms of people treating their assistants in Farscape, he was a pretty good boss, right? I mean, and t- I feel like he treated Bracca better than Craze uh, treated Bracca. Oh, God, was Bracca a Krace uh, crony? Wasn't he? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, he was. God, I do not envy that CV. Right? At some point, somebody's going to start to ask why he's always next to the person who... uh... Goes nuts and then steals something or gets something blown up or rubs boob sweat on people's faces. So Chiana is in jail with the witch and Jewel... And Jewel's like, God, did I not miss this? But Jewel points, Jewel tells them some stuff from her backstory that she's never told anybody that she used to steal things from dig sites. And she was basically Indiana Jones out there stealing things from dig sites. And she never stole anything from this dig site because this is a dig site she considers sacred. And 
I don't know. I'm surprised that Chiana's not like, wait, you're a thief? Oh, now we can be slightly more friendly. But she she talks about how I was hoping that I would be able to explore the grand mysteries of this place, but now I suppose I never will. And Gianna, who was laying in her lap and letting her circuit hair, just kind of sets up and she's like, yeah, okay, that's great. Whatever. Okay, are we done? Are we done with Jewel now? Can we move on? And we are. The old woman's like, I have to go get Crichton. Gianna, can you distract the guard? And Gianna's like, hey, I need to... Uh, Get out of here because this old woman needs to use bathroom, and if she doesn't get out of here, it's going to be really gross. So she's going to poop all over the place. She's going to poop over the walls and the ceiling, and all of us and you. And the guy's like, "Yeah, this isn't my first day being a guard. Come on." I know, right? It's literally the oldest trick in the book. But finally, he's he's worn down by Chiana. So uh, yeah. Oh, now we get more John being. Mind assaulted controlled. yeah it's not good i don't like it yeah she she kind of teases him by like basically handing him his blaster mm-hmm. like she puts it right within reach and she's like but you can't do anything because of my boob sweat i i want to point out i don't think it is winona I, just the prop i think that's a one of i think it's her blaster uh but she uh she's kissing him and she's like breathing in his face and she's like "Ooh, do you like this and he's like well i mean i'm not actively being physically tortured and you're not cutting out parts of my brain so in terms of horrible things that have happened to me this is kind of on the low end it's not great but i've been through much worse so i do like that because that definitely implies that he has at least some of his uh will still mm. yeah, he's like yeah this is better than the aurora chair so uh okay and uh, the old woman is watching this while it happens. Also, also, Scorpius is watching this from his, like, chained up position. But the old woman is watching this and she says, uh, for peace to be maintained, there has to be a sacrifice. Because, as I mentioned, John knows where all those probes are and she doesn't want him to know that. Hmm, if peace is to be kept, one might say. Yes, one might say that. So the old lady approaches John, who's not having a particularly good time of it. Okay, so this is after a commercial break. So I think there's an implication that during that commercial break, John was, like, full-on assaulted. Hmm. And and he does look really, really distraught. And, like I said, I would prefer it not be in here. But if it is, I'm glad they're treating it seriously. Yeah, this has been more of a thing this season... Could, because Chiana made reference to it, too. Mm-hmm. She made reference to the peacekeepers caught her, and then they did the worst thing you could possibly do to another sentient being to her. Mm-hmm. And I do appreciate how this scene is, A, taking it seriously. Like you said, John is clearly emotionally, whatever happened has broken him in a way other very traumatic things in the show have not. And the witch brings him out of it not really by talking about it by break but by like pulling him back to the mission which is an interesting note but i think it does work and yeah she is trying to use john but at the same time she's like you need to not think about what just happened yes like this is something that is a clear objective you can focus on although to be fair the clear objective she wants him to focus on is dying so that the probe information does not get out since he knows where the probes are 
and she tells him, forgive me, there's there's no other way. And she blows more sand in his face. And he sees himself being, like, forced off of the cliff by the priest, even though we cut back and forth and we see they're not really there. But the priests force him off the cliff, and he's definitely dead and definitely not coming back to be continued. Yeah, the you don't see the priest's face for a while because they're wearing these, like, very red flowy robes. And then you do see the priest's face at faces, and they're the witch. And the witch blows more... Uh, the priest witch blows more dust in his face. And then he sees himself falling off the cliff. And then he sees the goat being stabbed in the past. And uh, then he falls into the water, and he's dead forever. Okay, so, I mean, since obviously he's not dead... Since obviously he's not dead. Gone forever. It's not like at the halfway point of the episode we saw him getting rescued by the fish guy. Yeah, she already pushed him off this cliff once and it didn't kill him. Even if he wasn't the main character. I... Anyway, to be continued. To be continued. Not with this, John. John's dead forever now. And we don't have a backup anymore. Yeah. Uh, Since this is is a two-parter, let me quickly tease the next episode even though we usually save that for later the next episode is called what was lost part two resurrection (laughs) and the description from amazon prime is in the face of worsening magnetics and peacekeeper imprisonment the crew comes up with an escape plan that will mean elak's destruction elak by the way we have never said elak is the name of the other leviathan the dying leviathan uh magnet In face of increased magnetism. Weirdly, Amazon Prime puts magnetism in quotations, even though that's what they say in the episode. I don't know why. I don't know why they put scare quotes around magnetism, other than they were like, oh, it's ridiculous. We can't. We can't accept it. So in retrospect, I do actually really like this episode. It's not, uh, again, it doesn't have the pacing problems I usually associate with Farscape. It moves the plot along there's a lot of really interesting stuff that gets introduced i don't really like the new direction this feel this feels like it's a completely new character it feels like it's a really different drive for the i I don't know i i don't i don't like Reza. i'm gonna be glad when she's replaced oh spoilers (laughs) are we gonna have to deal with her for very long or i don't remember how long we deal with her i'll look it up later off mic but there's a different there's a different person who takes her place and it's way way better Okay, because it was a weird turn and I don't care for it. Yeah, I'm with you there. Uh, talking about this episode, though, I, I liked it a lot more than I said I did at the beginning. I think I was frustrated because there's a lot of stuff coming that's seated in this episode, and I'm frustrated that we don't get it here, and I'm frustrated that we're not too Aaron yet, but, like, taking a step back and just taking this episode for what it is, I guess, no, it is a good episode. I'm just anxious to get back to Aaron. I'm anxious to get to the story of these priests. Honestly, I'm anxious to get to Kansas. Is that the title of an episode? Yeah, it's the title of an episode. But I I, I can't can't take that out on the rest of the season, because, hang on, let me see what episode number Kansas is. It's, like, way, way later. Uh, hold on. Yeah, Kansas is until episode 12. I can't take it out on the rest of the season. (laughs) So, uh, we have some segments. We do! Our first segment is A Distant Part of the Universe. What world building worked for you here? Honestly, I really like the whole priest thing. Like, it's... I, I don't really know anything that's going on with it yet, but it really feels like... 
it's weird because it's 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 very generic. It's mm-hmm. all we know is that there were priests and they sacrificed animals and had something to do with magnetism. And but, that they had and that they they established a peace, an unlikely peace for a long time. Mm. Yeah, no, I am right there with you. I love when they discover I love when they discover the pyramid and they see that it has all of these different languages on it, including Egyptian. That's it's so exciting. It's like, it's building mythology in a way that didn't often happen in sci-fi shows of this time period, and I think that makes this show kind of exceptional. Mm. Our second segment is Strange Alien Creatures. Okay, it's gotta be Fish Guy, right? Fish Guy is the best designed alien in this episode. Okay, the Fish Guy is the most designed alien. Ooh. No, 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 no shade to Fish Guy. He's great. He looks like... Honestly, I'm impressed with what they were able to do with these prosthetics. He looks like Creature from the Black Lagoon, except with a higher budget, which is not something you expect from Farscape. Mm. He's he's colored in a way I find really interesting. Like he's his face is bright red, and it like goes ombre out to the to the gills, which are kind of which fade to a more green. He's got a very autumn palette. But honestly, my favorite creature is the snail. I can see that. And that's just because, okay, it's, I've been calling it a snail, but it's this, like, little, it's this little block thing with a, a little, um, kind of threaded foot that sticks out of it, and it crawls up and down the cave walls, and just, its movement is so pleasing to me to look at. It's like, it's like r slash oddly satisfying. Have you ever seen videos of that walking bacteria under a microscope? Yeah. That's what it looks like. Also, shout out to that goat. Shout out to the goat. Moving on. <laughs> Our last segment. Is the wonders that I have seen, which is what resonated with you in this episode. Okay, this is going to sound bad. Go for it. But honestly, I feel like the thing that resonated the most, and it's very little is how devastated John is after whatever happens with Greza happens because they don't talk about what happened. Mm-hmm. Like it is completely skipped over and the witch pushing him, you know, with this is what needs to happen. Now you need to die. Like it's weird because she's pushing him through it, but like you can tell that this is something that has hurt him in a way Despite what he said, most of the other stuff in this show has not hurt him. So, two words I don't usually think of when I talk about Ben Browder's acting. Who, by the way, I love Ben Browder. But two words I usually don't think of are serious and understated. Mm, yes. <laughs> but he did it. He was able to pull it out here. And yeah, I, I think that this is an amazing, sil- like an amazing silent performance from Ben Browder. Yeah, it's an incredibly powerful moment. I, I don't love what predicated it i i actively don't like it and it's one of the reasons why you really shouldn't do pheromone characters Mm. but i mean i know she's a villain but also and this does not excuse it but i feel like i feel like this was just one of those minefields in the early 2000s that like everyone was doing questionable consent plots okay so i'm gonna just talk about this briefly but this was a really really big thing with DC for a while there, like the uh, event, the D- DC, DC, DC comics, DC comics, 
like Damian Wayne was originally conceived as during a love affair with Talia al Ghul and Bruce Wayne. Mm-hmm. And they retcon that to him uh, getting drugged by her. And, you know, it became non-consensual. It was a thing during Devin Grayson's uh, run on Nightwing where there was a, like, supervillain called the Tarantula who she specifically said it wasn't, she she said it wasn't rape. It was non-consensual sex, but she drugged. That's what. Which is, yes. Uh, and it also happened to Green Arrow around that time, which... Well, I mean, you say DC, it also happened with, uh, I, I almost said Captain Marvel, but she was Ms. Marvel at the time, Carol Danvers. Oh, well, that was Oh, that earlier. was earlier, that was earlier, yeah. Yeah, that was in the 200th, the 200th, okay, we're, we're gonna go off on a little thing here, but I think it is important to put out in the universe as a thing that literally actually happened. So, to celebrate the 200th issue of The Avengers, they did a special where Carol Danvers shows up at the Avengers mansion, and she is several months pregnant. Mm -hmm. She goes through all of the stages of pregnancy within a few hours, and gives birth to a child who super ages into a man. And it turns out that the man is someone from another dimension who was spying on the 616, the main, you know, Marvel Universe, fell in love with Carol Danvers, used technology to brainwash her into having sex with him, implanting her with his spark so he could come to her universe when she gave birth to him. And then he takes her back to his universe because he can't survive in our universe. And, uh, and that's the thing that they chose to do to celebrate the 200th episode or 200th issue of the Avengers. But also the other Avengers treat this like, oh, she found a partner. Yeah. Everyone treats it like it's a good thing. Everyone's like, oh, look. Carol finally has a man. Good for you, Carol. Have fun living in another dimension. And Chris Claremont was horrified by this. Chris Claremont undid it. And, mm-hmm. and, and like, he, he got the chance to write something. And he undid it. And by undid it, I mean he had her come back from the other dimension and scream at everyone about how incredibly fucked up it was that, you know. Yeah. And then it never got mentioned again. Yeah, so basically, I don't like this trope, but it's... It's a thing. I mean, it was... It's a thing. It was... And that doesn't excuse it here, by the way. It's no. just... It's just one of those things that you kind of have to be on guard against when you're watching... I was going to say sci-fi from the early 2000s, but... Any media ever. Yes. Yes. I mean, it's not like magic stuff is without consent issues. Or fantasy, is it just more... Co- I'm... Fantasy is the genre. I think you should call it magic stuff. Yeah. But yeah, consent issues abound. All right, I think that'll about do it. I think that will do it. Our show is partially listener supported. If you want to be one of those listeners, you should head over to our website, www.welcometotelevision.net, and click on our Patreon link. We'd like to thank our current $5 and above patrons, Beryl, Patricia, Rosa, Ryan, Maricruz, Benjamin, Kate, Jen, and Dan. If you'd like to support the show in other ways, you could always rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find the show. 
We can also be contacted at ilovetelevisionzines at gmail.com or ilovetvzines on Twitter. So until next time, I'm Max. And I'm Tina. And this has been Welcome to the Uncharted Territories. Mm -hmm.